Hi, and welcome to Seen and Heard. My name is Allison Tristo, and I'm the Community Field Representative at Western United Dairies. Today, we have a bonus end-of-the-year episode for you guys. Anya Radabaugh, the CEO of Western United Dairies, is coming on to give an end-of-the-year recap. So let's get into that. So today we have on Anya Radabaugh to talk about some of the accomplishments that Western United Dairies has achieved this year. Hi, Anya. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Yes. Uh, we, are, we are really excited about the holidays coming up, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. Definitely. So I was hoping you could start with nutrition and talking about the win that Western United Dairies had up in the Capitol with that. Definitely. We've had some really strong legislative dominance and some really appropriate, I think, dairy wins for our members this year. And so I'll go through some of that. But generally, our nutrition strategy for dairy products inclusion in California has, you know, we didn't just double down last year, but we tripled down this year. And we'll talk about some of the things that we won. But uh, making sure that dairy not only stays on the menu, but that our local purchasing power is increased was a huge prerogative of our board and really was reflected in our Sacramento strategy. In addition to the major expansions um, and increase in dairy products in the uh, free and reduced school lunch moves, menus, we were successful in killing um, 18 vegan or plant-based bills uh, this year in the capital alone. So is there something that changed at Western? Uh, what, what did you do that helped accomplish these things? Well, it, it really hinged on two major strategic decisions that the board um, and, and myself kind of authored last year. But this is these wins have been building since our support for Governor Newsom in 2017. Um, ourselves and California cattlemen have been uh, really vocal and, and outspoken proponents of the governor even before he won his primary in 2017. And so our capital strategy has really been facilitated with his support um, in the areas that his policy priorities and those of his first partner, which is, of course, um, expanding access to nutrition, have intersected. We found a lot of synergy together. Then the other thing we did uh, that reflected a major change in our tactical approach to the capital is we now have a full-time uh, nutrition and dietitian that walks the halls with our lobbyists every day. And her expertise, um, you've heard her on this podcast before, um, Amy Myrtle Miller, and her expertise is really in the science of the nutrition of beef and dairy products. And her expertise really comes through when she's talking to legislators who either may not know a lot of our critical nutrition components that come with dairy products, but I think worse, they may have a different perception um, from maybe some of the media that they've taken in. But a lot of these folks, they don't necessarily come in with an ideological bent. They just have to be taught about some of those benefits. And so um, Amy has been a wonderful addition to our advocacy team in the Capitol. And so I'm going to go through just some of the key win and wins that we've had in the nutrition space so our members can um, hopefully appreciate the work that we're doing on their behalf and what we're spending our money on, quite frankly. So we ran AB 181, which you may have heard our lobbyist, Jason Bryant, talk about a couple weeks ago on this podcast, but alongside California Calumet to increase the consumption of dairy and beef products in, in the state. 
And beginning in school year 23, uh, California will become the first state to implement a statewide universal meal program for school children, which means that every student in pre-K through grade 12 will be eligible to receive a free breakfast and lunch every school day. Um, the governor and his first partner uh, felt very strongly that we wanted to eliminate the stigma around um, three meals for needy children, um, and that they really wanted to bolster student food and nutrition security, which means more dairy products on the menu, frankly. So on June 30th, Governor Newsom signed AB 181, um, and it was included in an education budget trailer bill, and that appropriates $700 million to support the school nutrition programs across the state. Uh, but specifically, what Western did as a component, as a facet of this massive uh, legislation was we ensured that school districts across our urban sector and our rural sector had better access for purchasing equipment, specifically for milk coolers, chillers, and bulk dispensers. And so in urban settings, a lot of times what hangs up um, getting 2% or full fat milk, is, which is a slightly separate conversation, but what is a hang up in some of these urban settings is that they can't get the little pint uh, cartons and they either don't have enough refrigeration reefer infrastructure or they just don't have the ability to source it locally. And so in a lot of the urgent urban environments, we have been piloting these bulk dispensers, which is like a big kegerator for milk. Um, and so chocolate milk and regular milk are gonna be on tap starting next year in um, 400 schools in LA and in across the East Bay area. So we're really proud of that. Um, the other thing that we added to AB 181 was providing training grants to support school nutrition staff and helping to prepare mostly fresh meals. And on the California grown side, it's more about the cheese, about preparing fresh cheese and procuring more California grown um, foods and ingredients for school nutrition was also a huge prerogative of 181. And so those things kind of combined um, to really help us, I think, push forward on a better strategy in Sacramento. We also, through budget trailer bills, kind of came around the back and reinforced some of these provisions. We made sure that um, as part of the budget trailer bill cycle, that there was a strict requirement that if a school offered plant-based alternatives to milk or other animal products, that those products meet the national school meal nutrition standards, which became very difficult for the anti-animal ag folks to argue. I will say the only alternative that qualifies for federal school re meal reimbursement is soy milk, but because it's not grown or made in California, which is another requirement of AB1A1, um, they can't source that product. And so we really battened down the hatches crossed our T's, dotted our I's, and made sure that dairy products would never be replaced with anything else on the California school lunch menu. Earlier, you brought up a nutritionist walking um, the halls up, up north here in California. And I think that sounds like something that will continuously help us in the future as bills are being passed, because I feel like education on nutrition that dairy and brief products bring in is not uh, talked about enough. Absolutely, and Amy's assistance um, under the direction of, of Jason, our lobbyist, has been indispensable. And to kind of highlight that, I wanted to talk about AB 558. Um, the work that we did strategically lobbying that bill cannot be overstated. 
AB 558 was introduced and I was, I've been on this podcast talking about it. So maybe we can link some conversations about 558 in the show notes so people don't have to completely um, start from scratch. But AB 558 was originally introduced by Assemblymember Nazarian, who's a gentleman from Silicon Valley. And he um, was aiming to eliminate beef and dairy from the school lunch program. And it, it, the build initially did two things. It expanded access to universal uh, school meals, which is kind of what we're, where we ended up, which is a, that's the good part of the bill. But the bad part was it was done at the expense of reducing the availability of beef and dairy products, mostly from a greenhouse gas emissions perspective, which has been debunked a number of times. But using some of our strategic relationships in the capital, along with Amy's nutrition expertise, having that as an available advocacy tool in the capital, we actually were able to convince Assemblymember Nazarian to remove the plant-based pieces of the bill and keep an expansion of beef and dairy products in an expanding school lunch program bill. So the end result towards the end of session was that instead of opposing 558, which is where our board was originally, we actually supported it. And again, Governor Newsom signed that bill in late September of this year, which was all part of the AB 181 strategy, um, which we could have not, we could not have accomplished this if we have not have taken the strategic investment um, a, a, a whole different way forward in the Capitol, which was to make sure that we had the nutrition scientists standing next to um, our lobbyists at all times. Yeah, all important things. So is there anything else you'd like to talk about with nutrition uh, before we move on to our next topic? Not so much nutrition, but I think that we definitely, just to kind of touch base on one more aspect of the vegan slash plant-based, the rise of these bills is not being done, uh, It's not they're not being introduced by our friends in agriculture. They are being introduced by anti-animal activists, mostly in the PETA, HSUA, HSUS space. And so in addition to 558, which was kind of a masterclass in making sure that stakeholders were happy, the right stakeholders, um, we also killed an additional 18 vegan bills this year. Um, the most notable was also by the same author, um, AB 2764, which prohibited the development of new um, confined animal feeding operations and slaughterhouses and would essentially make a civil fine um, for anybody that, you know, made any money off of slaughterhouses, essentially. Um, so we killed that bill. It's dead for the year. And I think that we did that using some of our members' strategic investments. And so um, these bills, this is, this is 18 bills this year, we're all killed. We killed 16 the year before, 14 the year before that. Um, and it's literally by the tactical decisions that our, our WUD board has made to, to essentially make sure we have those relationships in the capital that we can do this work. So thank you members. Um, we hope that those are the things that you can see a return on your investment um, for your membership within Western. Most definitely. So now let's shift the topic to the drought and land flex. Do you want to give the members um, an update on that? Yeah. Well, I think I mentioned uh, that we have a very good strategic relationship with the governor. And last year, these conversations, um, especially because we were at the end of a really hard two-year drought cycle last year, 
Um, we initiated a conversation with the Department of Water Resources about some ideas that our Western members down the South Valley had, which was essentially a concept around demand reduction of groundwater around uh, disadvantaged communities and domestic wells. And this concept now was finally born this month. Um, it was, it's called Landflex, but I think I want to back up just a little bit. As a result of that relationship that we have with the governor, um, DWR felt really comfortable setting aside a significant chunk of money, $253 million, as part of an overall drought relief package. Now, they've given us 50 for Landflex, but they want other ideas. And this is where I make an appeal to anyone in our membership specifically those up in the North Coast who have been uniquely impacted by drought and lack of feed. Um, we are looking for ideas right now in this immediate term to use the other $203 million. So this drought relief program obviously needs to be tied to water. Um, Landflex is a big piece of this, but the DWR is essentially looking for anything that has to do with water conservation, water recycling, reclaimed water, um, tying it to groundwater was a, a real pivotal piece for them, but not everybody, I know this is hard for some of our members to believe, not everybody in the state uses groundwater. And so um, I think really trying to figure out ways to make sure that our rural areas get the attention they need so that the state aqueduct is not stretched so thin is really the goal of DWR. And so hovering on Landflex for just a moment, that program is in its comment period right now. We are soliciting feedback from the GSAs until December 29th. I, I said GSAs, anybody can comment, let's just be fair. Um, but I think DWR is particularly interested in what our GSAs have to say about that program. Um, but what that program does is it essentially pays farmers to buy down the demand on their property for groundwater. And so in doing so, they're trying to buy some of the overdraft credits that are out there in addition, in additionally to paying farmers to fallow their property. And we just had a huge podcast on this last week, so I won't repeat everything that Aubrey and I talked about, but that is a huge win and it would not be made possible were it not for the strategic positioning of Western's board years ago and our alliance with many good partners in Sacramento. So is there anything else that you'd like to add to this end of the year recap or tell the producers? Well, I think next year um, we have almost an entirely new Senate class. Um, we have almost a third of the legislature, including the assembly, that have turned over, um, which means we have a lot of new faces. And I think, um, like Jason said a couple weeks ago, there are so many exciting opportunities with these new faces to you know, maybe run some things that maybe we want fixed, um, but running a bill is no small task and it's very, very expensive on so many fronts. And it requires the dedication of the entire membership. And so I'm always open to ideas. I know our board is, but in addition to a whole new freshman class of lawmakers up in Sacramento, we have a whole new freshman class of Western board members coming on in January. And so I'm looking forward to hearing their ideas about shaping the organization. Um, but I certainly welcome all of our stakeholders' ideas about how we can do a better job for you. Um, I wanted this, this podcast to focus specifically on Western's wins. There are many, many coalition-led efforts within the dairy industry and within the ag coalitions that 
I did not want to mention on purpose because I think it's important for everybody to have, you know, their ROI moment. Are we really working hard for your money the way you want us to is important for me to separate. And so I want Western to be separate from the pack so that we stand on our own when our farmers look at their milk checks every month and decide whether or not we're the right investment for them. Got it. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, Anya, to deliver the members uh, end of the year recap. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And I hope everyone has a very happy, wonderfully safe and fantastic holiday season with their families. Um, This is the time where Mother Earth sleeps so that we can all get some rest as well. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and I can't wait to talk to everybody next year. Thanks again, Anya, for taking the time to come on the episode to give the members a recap. We hope that you guys all have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.